The city of Hamilton, where I now make my home, is situated upon the traditional territories of the Erie, Neutral, Huron-Wendat, Haudenosaunee, and Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. Hamilton is home to many Indigenous peoples from across Turtle Island. I stand in solidarity with the murdered and missing Indigenous women, girls, transgender, and two-spirited people, and all those that fight for justice on their behalf. Miigwech. Thank you. Welcome to the arena, where sometimes the hardest part is showing up. My name is Linda McLaughlin. Thank you for being here. I wrestled with creating an episode specifically for Black History Month. I believe in the importance of acknowledging, celebrating, and educating ourselves about Black history, but I am also aware of keeping that work in a box, only to be hauled out once a year. This is what I hope will be an ongoing dialogue with my guest, Jesse Lipscomb, and others. Thank you for listening. This is episode 23. The name The Arena comes from the Teddy Roosevelt Man in the Arena speech. Okay. You're yeah. familiar with that? Yeah. It's about how are you showing up? What are you doing to make a difference? What are you doing to make a difference in your own life, but also potentially in the lives of the people around you? When I first reached out to you, certainly I thought of Black History Month, but as I said to you in my email, I think any time is a good time to make it mm -hmm. awkward. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that is the key too. It's this idea of February, I get it, but it's not yeah. really, we're not moving the needle unless this is all the time, a life change for all of us, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Thank you very much for agreeing to be on the show. I have a little intro for you and we can start there and then we can jump into the conversation. How's that? Perfect. Sounds okay. great. Jesse Lipscomb, you're a son, a husband and father to three beautiful boys you're the grandson of the Edmonton Eskimo legend, Rolly Miles, and a fourth generation Albertan, mm -hmm. descending from black settlers from Amber Valley. Correct. You're an actor, an activist, a writer, a former athlete, a film and television producer, and an entrepreneur. You began your acting career at age 14 in the film Children of the Dust with the legendary actor, Sidney Poitier. You received a full athletic scholarship to the prestigious Morehouse College in Atlanta. You're the co-founder of the Make It Awkward campaign after racial slurs were hurled at you while you were shooting a commercial promoting Edmonton. Those slurs, along with your calm response, were all captured on camera. Mm -hmm. It was undeniable. Now, among other things, you work with organizations and leaders to help them understand and address racism. Welcome to the arena, Jesse. Well, thank you. It's nice to be in this huge arena with all these screaming fans. It's <laughs> amazing. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. As I said earlier, there's a lot of directions we could go with how you're showing up in the arena on a daily basis but I thought maybe I'd take you back to your childhood and what was dinner conversation like in your household? What was growing up like for you? Yeah, growing up for me was regular, fun family, eat your supper, eat your vegetables, liver is disgusting, lima beans are gross. Like, I can't wait till dessert. All of us were <laughs> athletes and we had dinner pretty late. It was like 8 p.m. because we came home from school, went to training, and then we ate supper. 
and we just talked like regular families talk. We have music at the table. We uh, ate supper together. We all had our own spot. Um, and we got each other's nerves. And it was beautiful family. Yeah. And you grew up in St. Albert. I didn't tell you that I grew up in St. Albert as well. You did? Where are you from? What, what hood are you repping? A sturgeon. Sturgeon Grandin over here. That's good because we're old school. Those are OG neighborhoods. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and Paul Kane or St. Albert High? St. Albert High is where I was. Nice. Where nice. You, you too? Yeah. Are you a Skyhawk? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I grew up in St. Albert. So as a super culturally diverse, one of the biggest tapas. No, that's wrong. It's all white. <laughs> I was like, maybe when you went to school. <laughs> no, not at all. Outside yeah. of my own family was not a ton of culture, but we definitely kept that alive in our household. My mother's side's American, father's side's Canadian. And we, yeah, it was great, man. Our family get-togethers were amazing. The culture that was, it wasn't that we had to like, outwardly state this is culture it was just this is what our family looked like and it was great we found a way to keep what was important to us alive whether it's food and meals or stories and tales it was great awesome what event in your life had the most profound impact on you probably being born (laughs) (laughs) all right thanks very much (laughs) yeah absolutely good show good show it's weird it's weird to nail it down to one thing I, yeah. I, if i were to think about it I, it's probably after i left morehouse i went to school in atlanta georgia on a full track and field scholarship at morehouse college that's at hbcu historically black college university martin luther king went to school there spike lee a bunch of other notable people but i think there i realized what uh, a privilege it is to walk around as a person and not as like a black person it's everyone there was black, teachers, black friends, everybody. So that wasn't a part of the conversation. It was just, it was just conversation all the time with a general understanding of the backstory. Very similar to how like white Canadians can walk around and understand there's like an understanding that doesn't exist with the BIPOC community as much. So that was probably the, one of the biggest ones. Even if I rewound it before that, it's probably that movie, Sydney Portier, Children of the Dust. Because my mom and grandma came to set, and I remember at one point we were being hanged from a tree after the Klan had lynched us for something that didn't happen. And mm. uh, even though we had a strap on, it wasn't real, but it looked real. And I saw the faces of my mom and my grandmother when the Klansmen were riding around with torches and hoods. And at 14, I didn't know the impact of it. It was just, I was just plain make-believe. But I saw how that viscerally affected my mom and my grandmother. And so that was the first one where I'm like, there's a lot more to this then Morehouse for sure. And then coming back and feeling the weight of whiteness once I got back here and realized, man, this is a lot to traverse through this world. And noticing all that was missing growing up, all the representation that was missing, the history books, the school, the curriculum. And then it was a little bit of lamenting. And then it became like a journey to find as much as I can about my own culture, because most of it's been erased. It's like African-American culture and Amber Valley and the settlers that came up here. It's been a mission just to keep that story alive and keep learning. What does living courageously mean to you? I think for me, living courageously means that I don't let fear get in the way of me attempting and trying with all of my might to do the things that I'm passionate about. Living courageous, for the most part, has very little to do with skin color or race. For me, it has everything to do with just regardless of what boundaries or hurdles are in front of me that I'm going to try and I'm going to move and I'm going to give it my best and I believe wholeheartedly that I'll figure it out. In in regards to the racism and make it awkward, for sure, living courageously is having the courage to call out people in moments that don't feel like you want to because you don't want to rock the boat or you don't want to upset somebody, but keeping in mind how much more damage is being done by being silent. So that's another aspect of living courageously, but it's this idea of fear, not getting in the way of you being your ultimate and best self. 
And isn't it the absolute level of exhaustion, which I can't obviously relate to, but that feeling that it's time that it's not the black community that has to call out Uncle George, who's telling that racist joke one more time at the dinner table. It's beyond time to pass the torch of calling it out. Yeah. Black people, indigenous people, BIPOC across the board have known it yeah. for a long time. So that conversation is like more of your conversation. This is not, it's not a new conversation. This is hundreds of years, generationally. So yeah, absolutely exhausting for sure. There's some optimism in regards to the amount of energy and momentum that's happening, but it's so easily lost because it's so easy for people who don't look like me to jump out of said arena because it doesn't really adversely affect you if you're in or out. Actually, it's probably adversely affects you if you're on the fight because it's more work. It's difficult. There's emotions involved. You got to look at yourself a little harder. It's a difficult shift, and but it's a necessary shift in order to get to where we need to go. If you imagined what you want it to look like, what would it look like? I could start with like simple stuff. I'd love that young indigenous women aren't murdered and missing. I'd love to have black mm. unarmed men not get murdered. So what I'm not even, I'm not even going to dream. I'm going to start with, it would look like human decency across the board for every human being. A start, we'll start there. I, I could dream and go further, but I, we're not even there. So that's my dream. My current dream is human decency to everybody on this planet and the general authentic respect for their own cultures. What's your legacy? I don't think that's even up to me. I don't know. I hope that it is a legacy of always being available to give a hand up when I can, but also someone who didn't ever let anything stop them from doing the things they wanted to do. And that I was a very authentic mm -hmm. human being that showed all of the cracks uh, whenever they were there. I didn't try to filter it up with a Snapchat filter. It's just as Jesse today. Sometimes he's crying watching commercials. Other times he's joking around, having fun, makes mistakes, keeps moving forward. The way of the frog, always forward, never backwards. <laughs> the way of the frog. Okay. I've never heard that before. Yeah. So it's literally, so Fox drive, there's stairs there. And I used to train there. And at the top of those stairs, there's a bench that's dedicated to someone. And on the bench, it says the way of the frog, always forward, never backwards. And I haven't forgotten that in 10 years. I love it. It's just like, no matter what frog, because a frog can't jump backwards. It can't, it has to go forwards. No matter what's happening, it has to move forward. And I love it. That's genius. I love yeah. that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> What would you do on your last day? I don't know. I try to live every day like it is. So I guess talk to you, which is great. And then I'll pick up my kids. I can say, the reason I say that is because I live a purpose-driven life. I'm not missing anything. And there's no thing that I haven't uh, wanted to do that I haven't put my all into doing. So my last day will probably look similar to today. And it could be any of the days because I'm not going to stop. That thing lets me feel like I have some, some drive and some purpose in my everyday. So yeah, it wouldn't look any different than it does today. Is there anything else you'd like to share? Man, there's no and yes. You know what I mean? Like it's, if, and if I'm being 100% honest too, Linda, this, we're, what are we, February 19th? Black History Month is exhausting. I Like I work and talk often, but in, in this month, it's always, we want to do something. We want to check a box. We want to, let's bring Jesse in to talk about yeah. the same rehashings of the, sh the absolute shit that the environment is right now for so many uh, marginalized individuals. So yeah, there's a ton I want to talk about, but I'm excited to hear other people talk about it. I'm sorry, excited to hear other people step up to the plate and just do stuff. Just do, just be the frog. Don't wait, don't ask, just go do better things. Make the world a little bit better. So I could talk about a million things, but also it'd be nice not to sometimes. I'll answer any question, but I am now optimistically on the bench and watching all the people who said they wanted to play. So people that you've been working with, that you've been talking to, 
Is there anybody sitting next to you on the bench? Is there yeah, anybody? Here's the thing, like when I say on the bench, obviously I'm in the game at all times, but a lot of people like I'm ready to play. I'm ready to play. And they've been saying that since March last year. And a vast majority of them have just disappeared. They did four or five posts for a month or read a book and then life goes back to normal. Some people have, you know, definitely stayed in it for the long haul. We say it's not even been a year, but either way, the long haul. So I'm just waiting. I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing, but I am excited to see who steps up to really fight and use their privilege like the superpower it is to actually help those who don't have it. And I'm not only talking white privilege. I'm also talking male privilege, cisgendered privilege, able-bodied privilege. So across the board, when you have one of these things, it's your job to use it for good, to create an equal playing field. And I want to see more people understand that they have that power and use it for good because it's that's all it is. It's not, there's no top down. It's just when people are like, what do we do? It's literally you, just you doing different things than before. And it creates a completely different environment for us all to live in. There's no waiting for someone else to do a thing. We created the environment, we can fix it too. George Floyd's death is coming up in May. I don't know that we're not just gonna see another March and another memorial and another- First we got the trial that happens in March find right. out what actually happens. And my, I'm not optimistic about it. You, they usually go the same way all the time. And this would be just a giant slap in the face if this one does the same. So I'm a little more, more pensive. Yeah. I'm like hopeful that there's some level of justice that exists there. Cause if not, then it's like, for what? Like what this, like it's obviously it's fully broken. And obviously what's been happening isn't working well. Although I did see a really cool report that since Black Lives Matter started, that there's been statistically over 400 lives saved based on the amount of killings that have happened in a city that's had a protest. So that's a good sign. But yeah, it's coming up in March, but that's George Floyd's. There's also like a hundred oh, other yeah. ones. Yeah, yeah, so like, sure. like there's an anniversary all the time and it's too normal. So yeah, you're right. It's coming up and it will pass. And that's not going to change anything. It's the people listening to this who think they don't have a, a stake in the game. That's what's going to change it. Yeah. In working with business leaders, again, are these the people that you're hearing saying, oh, yeah, no, this is really important. We're really making this a priority. And we've got a line in our annual mm-hmm. plan or strategy to hire more people of color, et cetera, et cetera. Are you hearing that? Are you seeing it happening or are you just hearing it? I get to see it at the front end. Normally I'm hired and I go do something and then it's up to them afterwards what they do and what they how they follow up with it. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's helping. I hope it's helping. But I know one thing that does help is the continued conversation makes the conversation less awkward for people. It makes it less foreign. You find a footing where you can talk a little bit better and tra- traverse through that environment a little bit better. So no matter what, conversations with you, Linda, and any other interviews, these things just help make this more of just regular talk, not this out on the outskirts, peripheral discussions. They become everyone's discussion. And no matter what, that's a great thing. No matter what, the more you talk about the thing, you get to understand people a little bit more and That's a big piece. I've said before, change moves at the speed of empathy. So the more we can empathize and learn about people who don't look and talk like us, the quicker we'll get to this pretend place that's written about in fairy tales. And do you have any questions for me that maybe I've asked you or anything else? Yeah, I got a question for you. So then since the anniversary is uh, coming up, what major changes have you made in your life to change this uh, atmosphere and environment that we live in? I think my first level of responsibility, frankly, was to educate myself about the history in Canada and history in the United States and how that intersects and to take a good look at the mirror Mm -hmm. about how I have in my interaction with 
people of color, any kind of diversity, whether it, yeah, I'm cis, cisgender. So how am I showing up with somebody who is LGBTQ and how are the racialized people in my own family, mm-hmm. how are they experiencing living in my family? Mm-hmm. How are the people that I've worked with or that have worked for me? What was that experience like? What was mm-hmm. I like as a colleague? Mm-hmm. And how can I show up differently in that regard? And just, again, it's about checking myself when I'm on the subway, when I'm traveling around, how am I re- reacting to somebody who I see who's BIPOC? Again, it's just really looking internally. So specific actions, I've been very conscious of who I'm inviting onto the show mm-hmm. and how that reflects the diversity in Canada mm-hmm. and giving people an opportunity to tell their stories so that I can share them. Um, now, do you find you feel... Like I, so for me, whenever I learn something that I maybe have done harmful or could do better, I feel good about it. Even though sometimes it's like a quick look in the mirror, like that journey for me does make me feel better. And I think a lot of people have some fear about how, like how life will be so difficult to be on board with these new changes that are happening. But for me, I felt like I personally just feel better. Like I feel better. I feel like I'm a part of something when I'm having to check and pivot and change things that I might've done harmful harmful before that I'm not doing anymore. But for you, did you find, is it a lot of work? Are you finding joy in it? It's a good question. I think that I am, am I finding joy? What I'm trying to be careful of is not elevating myself in some way and saying I'm better than somebody else is because I've done done that work. And frankly, you can do the work and then go, okay, great. I'm a great person now. And now I don't have to do anything. And so it is that next step of how are you speaking up? How are you calling somebody out who's who's making someone else feel uncomfortable or using an inappropriate term or, or what have mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think I, I, I want to end up at the end of my life being the best human that I could have. And yeah. that all comes down to compassion and making people, what was it Maya Angelou said, your legacy is how you made people feel. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. So I think if we could all try and embrace that, Mm-hmm. And leave that as our legacy, then when I think we'd all be better off and we'd all we'd achieve that ideal that you that you spoke of. Yeah, I agree. It is teamwork. It is teamwork. Makes the dream work. It's the bumper sticker and it's not a lie. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate you carving out some time for me. And I wish in some respect this was August. Because I do believe as much as it's important to spend the time and take the month to acknowledge Black history mm-hmm. in its many forms, but yeah. um, but Black I don't. History. But but it, it needs not as, become its own ghetto. Yeah, absolutely. Black history, also known as Alberta history, also known as history, just history, right? So exactly. Why are we, that's what I mean. I hear you, and I'm happy that you're doing this, and I look forward to talking to you in June about some similar stuff, just because it's June. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah, keep in touch and go Skyhawks. I can't believe it. Yeah, I love it. Howard Howard. Skyhawks. <laughs> I love it. Jesse and I both referenced Amber Valley, Alberta, which I knew nothing about prior to this episode. It was an all-black community near Athabasca, founded by five families that traveled from Oklahoma in 1908, fleeing escalating racial violence and the segregation of the newly enacted Jim Crow laws. Amber Valley grew to a community of roughly 300 homesteaders before further immigration to Canada was stopped by the same prejudice they had fled from in the South. 
there's a great short documentary about it called Secret Alberta, The Former Life of Amber Valley, that I'd highly recommend. And yes, it was awkward talking about my own actions or inaction in the past year. Change only happens through action. I know that. And like all of the things I've done in my life to stay sober, to keep myself on track, I have to stay conscious. It's not hard. And to Jesse's point, it is joyful to do better, to be better. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe. And if you feel someone else might benefit from listening to this episode, please share it. Leave a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcasts. I also invite you to follow my blog where I continue to explore how to show up more courageously. Visit my website at www.lindamclaughlin.com. I look forward to sharing my next guest's story about how her travels and experiences have given her perspective and shaped her life. Until next time, my name is Linda McLaughlin in The Arena. The Arena.